Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Forks of Elkhorn Baptist Church. I'd like to give a very special welcome to any guests that we have. It's great to have you in the house of the Lord. And I can't think of a better way than to begin a service with believers' baptism. I'm so grateful for these two fine young men that have come today to be baptized. First, Jace Harris comes to be baptized. Jace, we're all so very proud of you and your decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Jace, I ask everyone to enter into these waters as Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. And upon your profession of faith in him, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So thankful today that Ben Thompson comes to be baptized. Okay, that good? Ben, we're also very proud of you and your decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Ben, I'll ask you, as I just did, Jace, as Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. And upon your profession of faith in him, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. May we pray together. God, what a glorious day this is. We celebrate with Jace and Ben, their families and friends that have gathered here today. Would you bless these two young men all the days of their lives? Would they always walk with you, Jesus, and talk with you along life's way? And Lord, would you just give their families wisdom and strength to teach them your truths? And Lord, help us as a church family love and support and pray for them as they walk in newness of life. Lord, if there are others here today that need to make the same commitment, we pray that many others would accept Christ today and be willing to follow through the waters of baptism. We'll give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. We do welcome you here today, and a very special welcome. If this is your first time worshiping with us, you are our honored guest. And we would invite you at the end of the service to go by our welcome center out in the foyer. And if you don't mind, there's a registry you could just uh, give us your name and information, and then we have a small gift as a token of our love for you being here today, and we hope and pray that you will come back to worship with us again. If you're returning to this place, uh, this house of worship, we welcome you and pray that you would feel the presence of the Lord as we worship him today in spirit and in truth. But at this time, I'm going to invite you to stand Tell someone you're glad to see them here today and then remain standing for our opening hymn. Bless you.
us, and it's okay to smile while you do so.
Amen. Praise God. How good God is. I saw some of y'all trying to keep the beat. <laughs> Wonderful. Praise God that he is better to us than we deserve, isn't he? Amen. Praise God that we serve a grace-filled, loving Father who loves us unconditionally and proved his love sacrificially when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We are so glad that you're here. And I failed to welcome those of you who are worshiping with us online. We are always grateful to have people worshiping with us from many different places, many different states, even across the world. We welcome you and we welcome the Holy Spirit in this place. I'm also grateful that every week we have a time where if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to come to this altar and pray, we all need prayer. And we know that God is faithful and God's timing is perfect. God's grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness. And if you would like to tap into his life-giving, life-transforming, life-changing power, I would invite you to come join me. You're welcome to kneel at this altar, stand. You can stand from your seat. You can pray from wherever you are worshiping with us today. But I invite you to join me as we, how good, how good, how good you are to all of us, have been and always will be because you have our best interests at heart. Father, you know what we need even before we ask. But we come today, God, asking and seeking and knocking and asking for your perfect will to be done in our lives. Father, would you forgive me or forgive us of any sin that might hinder our prayer today? David said, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So God, remove any sin from us so you'll hear our prayer and know our heart and Lord, may we be like the psalmist David, who is a man after your own heart. May we be people hungry after the heart of God. Lord, I pray for every man and woman and young person in this place, for those at this altar, for people praying from their seats, people praying, God, from their homes or wherever they may. We have folks that are in the hospital who need your divine healing touch. We pray for them, God, that you would anoint them and heal them and restore their health if it be your will. Father, we pray for folks that are going through treatments. There are many going through radiation or chemotherapy. And we pray, God, that you would use medicine and modern medicine to bring healing and through your divine power. Father, we pray for people that are struggling in their family. Maybe it's 
a marriage crisis. And, oh, God, we know you can do all things, reconcile and heal these relationships. Father, we pray for people struggling financially today that you would provide and bring resources from places maybe they never dreamed or imagined to meet a need. And, Father, we're so grateful that we celebrate tomorrow Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We're grateful, Father, for his fight for civil rights and for justice and for racial equality. And Father, we're grateful for the legacy that he leaves behind. We're grateful, Father, for his stand for freedom. We're grateful, Lord, for sending Jesus into this world and the stand he took to bring us freedom. And may we never take our, grant, our freedom for granted. May we always be humbly grateful that we can live in a free country and we can worship the one true God. And I pray, oh God, that your Holy Spirit might always be in this place and in our hearts and that it would spread and bring revival and spiritual awakening in our state, in our country, and even in the world. But may it begin in each of our hearts. Make our hearts, God, like your heart. Make our spirits like your spirit. May we treat people with love and respect. And may we, Father, strive to point people to the hope we have in Jesus. Father, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would continue to move through this service, that you would sing, Father, and play through our musicians. Father, that you would speak through your word and you would speak through your servant and that our hearts might be touched today by your spirit and that we would be changed to be more like Jesus in whose strong and holy and precious name we pray. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 4? And as you're doing that, I'm grateful that our worship team will be coming back to lead us in another beautiful, powerful song. And Appreciate you all being here today and, and leading both services so beautifully and to our ladies playing the piano and organ as well. Begin with verse 25 of John 14. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord, and blessed be the name of the Lord.
I said this Wednesday, I said it at the early service, that's one of the most anointed songs I think that we sing because every time I sing and speak the name of Jesus, I'm moved by the Holy Spirit because there's power and authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever you're going through today, if you don't get anything out of the message Know that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ, and he can break whatever stronghold you're facing today. Get that. And I believe I failed to mention at our prayer time, I did this both services. We have 40 youth and adult leaders in Pigeon Forge at a conference right now, and I'd love to just stop for a moment and pray for them. Can we do that right now? Father, we just want to lift up our students to you in Pigeon Forge. They're probably worshiping you right now with some great Christian bands and, and hearing God, some, some great Christian speakers. Lord, I pray that you would draw our young people closer to you because they are our future. And God, I pray you would bless JT and Elaine and our uh, volunteers, our leaders who are there with them, that this would be an, an uplifting weekend where many youth would come to know Jesus or Christian uh, youth would grow in their faith and be more bold in their witness. So, Father, bless them, put a hedge of protection around them. Bless them with traveling mercies as they, while they are there and as they come home tomorrow afternoon. We'll just give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for the victories we trust you to bring. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. If this is your first time worshiping with us or watching, you may be disappointed today because I always begin with a joke, and I don't have a joke for you today. So I was expecting all of but I think I have something better than a joke. For years, my favorite television program has been the Andy Griffith Show. And I was a big Andy Griffith person. The black and white episodes, I didn't care much for the color episodes, but the ones with Don Knotts in it and Barney. But then there was another character on the Andy Griffith Show who was a backwoodsman. He was a mountain man who would come to town occasionally just to throw rocks through a window. And there were just a handful of episodes that he was in, but he made his mark, and he's remembered in the few episodes that he was in. One of the particular episodes, Ernest T. Bass wanted to get his diploma uh, so Romina would date him and like him. 
And uh, there was another episode where she wanted a man in a uniform. But this particular episode, Ernest T. Bass goes back to school with the children in Miss Crump's classroom trying to earn his diploma. Let's watch it together. All right, the possum hid under the rock. Now, who can break this down for me and point out the preposition, the object, the subject, and the verb? Why don't we break down that rock, find out what that possum's doing in under that? <laughs> Mr. Bass, we'll get to you in a minute. Sharon? Ain't no little girl gonna tell you nothing about a possum under a rock. You want to really find out about a possum under a rock, you find a boy with dirt under his fingernails. You find a boy with dirt under his fingernails, you find yourself a boy that's been rooting around under a rock for possum. Mr. Bass, in this class, we do things by turns. Now, each child has his turn to express himself. Right now, it's Sharon's turn. Do you understand? Yes, ma'am. I speak when it's my turn to speak. Correct. Sharon? And when my turn comes, I'll set you right in a jiffy about how to find possum under a rock. Now, you can go back two ways, you see. You light a fire or you jab at him with a long, pinky stick. Mr. Bass, that's quite enough. Light the fire, smoke him out. Jab at him with that stick, good. Mr. Bass, that was rude. Well, thank you. <laughs> I got it rude. I bet you ain't never got no rude. <laughs> and that's also the episode where Andy was trying to teach him about the borders of the United States, and it was Kelsey's Pond, Kelsey's Ocean. Y'all remember the rest of that, maybe not. And then when they asked him to do some math, he went 50. So, uh, but anyway. If you want to see me afterward, I'll talk more about it. But uh, can you think of some good teachers that you had in your years going through school? Can you, are there some teachers that come to mind right now that you think about that were a, a great teacher that you had? What traits made them such good teachers? And in particular, how has this teacher or how have these teachers changed your life? I want to tell you that if you're a teacher or a school administrator and you're here today or you're watching, I want to say thank you because you have made a marked difference in my life, my family's life, and the lives of so many. So let's show our appreciation to teachers. I could go on about some of the teachers I had. I know in second grade, um, I, I had a teacher that was patient with me and understanding that I played my way through the first grade, and I was too busy driving my little Hot Wheels cars, and, and I was too busy just playing and not really learning like I should. So my second grade teacher, she was patient, she was caring, but she also, um, spoke truth and love because she had one of those little paddles that you take the little red ball off, you know, use the ch -ch -ch. and buddy, she would take me in to, to this little hub area because it was a open concept, kind of like how Hearn used to be. I was a second grader over at Owen County Elementary and, and there I would be wanting to watch the movie that class was watching. I'd be wanting to listen to what this teacher was saying. And so for someone who had trouble focusing, open concept was not good. 
And so that's why they start putting all kinds of partitions up to try to divide the way. But, but I remember my second grade teacher, I remember her taking me into that little hub there and she would swat me a few times with that paddle and, and tell me that she loved me and that I could do better than I was doing. And me and my little buddy had to put our cars away. And uh, my mom was my second grade teacher. <laughs> she was. And uh, she taught me to love and respect. And, uh, but I, I could go on. I think about my fifth grade teacher over in eighth grade, looking at that sentence, diagramming a sentence. You know, she taught us so much. I, I remember like it was yesterday, Miss um, Graham teaching in eighth grade over at Camp Dick Robinson School in Garrett County. And, and she heard a meow, meow, meow. And, she said, who's making that cat noise? Meow, meow. And for whatever reason, she said, Todd, Lester, I know you've got something to do with this. <laughs> and sure enough, I'd brought a kitten in from playground and had put it in her desk. <laughs> and it was meowing as she was trying to teach. So I did have something to do with my wife's looking at me like, you're not setting a good example. And then I think about Ira Fannin, my civics teacher in 10th grade, and Pat Fannin, my U.S. history teacher my junior year. And I mean, the list goes on and on. I think about Terry Johnson, one of our members, who in French class, I was embarrassed that I flunked, I flagged the French test, and I shared at the early service. I remember like it was yesterday. He rolled up the test, called me out in the hall, and started looking at me like this, you know, Jérôme, uh, je m'appelle Jérôme, that was my French name, Jérôme. Jérôme, what happened? I, I, I got in late from a ball guy, I didn't study, and I, I can do better. He goes, I'm going to give you another chance. And he gave me another chance to retake the test, and I, and I passed with flying colors, but he taught me about second chances and taught me that he cared beyond what I made on a test. He cared about me as a person. I mean, I can go on and talk about Dr. Eugene Hall, who was a college professor who taught me so much and, and was such a dear friend, a wonderful Christian man that taught me so much. Or Dr. Bryant Hicks, who I had at Southern Seminary, who was a godly man. When I looked at Bryant Hicks, you know, I felt like I was looking at the face of God. And, and I mean, the list goes on. People that Teachers who made an empire. And I know we all had some that maybe weren't so great, but teachers make a difference. You know, last week we began a, a sermon series called Greater Strength. And in this series, we have looked at the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and us about a greater power and strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. And we learned uh, last week that the, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit is parakletos, or we get the word paraclete. And you know what the definition of paraclete is? Helper. We all need help, don't we? We need help with our homework. We need help with our finances. We need help with our relationships. We need help with our addictions. 
Uh, we need help with our pain. We need help with our sickness. Uh, we need help making decisions. We need help with our guilt. We need help about decisions about our future. We need help as we struggle with our sin. We all need help. If we're honest, we all need help. And so last week we learned that, that God promised us help through the power of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Max Licato in his latest book, uh, Help is Here, said that the, the specific overarching uh, mission of the Spirit of God is to teach us about Jesus. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is a teacher? And we think about what these earthly teachers have taught us. Well, the Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher of all. And the Holy Spirit wants to help you and help me and strengthen you and strengthen me. More specifically, in our passage of Scripture today, we see Jesus once again trying to prepare his disciples for his soon-to-be crucifixion when he would die on the cross, and then for his resurrection that would happen in a short time later. His disciples were confused, they were afraid, they were doubting, not understanding. I'd be willing to say that's how some of you are today. You're confused, you're doubting, you're, you're afraid, not sure of what's going on, what God has in store. You think God has forgotten about you or God doesn't love you or doesn't care anymore. But yet, he said in John chapter 14, verse 26, but when the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who comes in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have spoken to you. So we know that the Holy Spirit came to teach us and to remind us of all the things Jesus had been trying to say. He said, right now I'm with you. But then when he leaves, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, to be our helper. So how does he help us? How does he teach us? Well, there are many things, but I want to hone in just on three. The first thing, he teaches us truth. He teaches us truth. Now, we're living in a world where there are a lot of lies being told, aren't we? I mean, there might be lies told from the White House to the schoolhouse to the church house to even our houses. There are a lot of lies that are being told. And you know who the one that, that instigates these lies. It's the devil himself. If you look in John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, there is no referring to the devil. There is no truth in him. It says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we know that all lies come from the devil. And some of you are being lied to today. Some of you are being lied to that you're hearing a voice saying, 
you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not qualified enough. You're not educated enough. You're not pretty enough. Uh, or you're not thin enough. You're just not good enough. That's a devil's lie. If, if you're hearing some of these voices and lies today, then I want you right now to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone, Satan, because he's lying to you. He's a liar and the father of lies. But Jesus, on the other hand, if you would look in John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Did you know that Jesus is truth? How do we know? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the truth. That's the gospel truth. That Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And we learned last week in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, it said, I will ask the Father to send another advocate who will be with you, who will help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Did you know that the Holy Spirit opens our spiritual eyes so we can discern right from wrong, truth and lies? And I believe with all my heart, we'll talk later in this series about the spiritual. They love the Lord. They are a faithful Christian, but they're struggling right now. And their very words were, I need someone to speak truth to me. And as we tried to encourage them and tried to love them and pray with them and support them, God brought to my mind out of the book of Job. Y'all remember Job? Job was a righteous man who feared God and he shunned evil. He wasn't perfect. But Job had all this calamity. As righteous as he tried to be, as good as he tried to be, it did not protect him from pain in his life. Y'all remember? He lost 10 children. He lost all of his livestock. He lost everything that he had. He lost his own health. So much so his own wife said, why don't you curse God and die? But you remember Job remained faithful. You've heard about the patience of Job. Job remained faithful to God, even though he didn't know what God was doing. But then at the end of Job, chapter 42, said that Job replied to the Lord. He said, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked who is this who obscures my plans without knowledge? He said, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And then if you would read on over in verse 5, he said, I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Some of you are here today and you know about Jesus, but you don't know him. You've heard about him, but you really haven't seen him. 
Do you know that sometimes God will use calamity and hardship to open up our spiritual eyes to see truth? And even though we don't understand it at the time and say, what did I do to deserve this? Instead of asking why, maybe you say, for what purpose? For what purpose, Lord, is it to grow me in my faith or that I can minister to somebody else who's going through what I'm going through? I can give hope and encouragement to someone else. But the fact is, the Holy Spirit teaches truth. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When we know the truth, our spiritual eyes are open. But not only does the Holy Spirit teach us truth, He teaches us to turn from sin. To turn from sin. I know that all of us struggle with some type of sin. And in John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, when he comes, referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, Maybe right now you're struggling with some sin in your life. The Bible is clear in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one perfect person in this room. And if you are, I want to meet you after the service. I want to shake your hands and say congratulations. There was only one perfect person ever to live, and that was Jesus Christ. He was the spotless Lamb of God. But we also learn in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Did you know that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin? Do you know when you sin? I don't know about you. I'm convicted. I'm not just talking about the guilty conscience. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit convicts me. Most of us here, if we know Christ, we know right from wrong, don't we? You don't have to have anybody to say, uh, I saw that. I know what you did. I heard that. Most of us know, and guess what? When we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, it makes me not want to do those things I know I ought not be doing. We are to turn from them. I love what Bible commentator William Barclay shared in his commentary on the Gospel of John. He shared about a missionary who was preaching to an Indian village, and he was using a very crude um, slides with a lantern on a whitewashed wall of a village home. And he was showing and explaining the love of Jesus with Jesus dying on the cross. And he said, without warning, there was an Indian man who rose to his feet and he ran to the picture and he said, come down, come down. You should not be hanging on the cross. I should. What would make a man be drawn to a picture on a wall of a, a death that was over 2,000 years ago, a Palestinian death of a of a criminal on a cross, what would make him do that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit makes us do things that we can't always explain why. I've said it before, sometimes people don't like to come to church because when they do, they feel convicted. So if I don't go to church and I don't hear about the Lord and I can't feel his presence, then I'm assuming it's okay because I'm not convicted. But if you have ever come and you've been moved to tears like I am every time we sing the name of Jesus and speak the name of Jesus, I'm convicted to realize how sinful I really am and that I need his mercy and his grace. And we learn in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. Which secondly, we're convicted of righteousness. Again, Jesus was condemned as a criminal, but he was the only perfect person. He was holy, he was righteous, he was without blemish, without stain, without sin, yet he died so that we might obtain the righteousness of God. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added or given unto you. What about you? Are you seeking Jesus first, or is he down here somewhere? When we put him first, he works out all these other things. He teaches us to prioritize what or who should be most important. But then he convicts us of judgment. Did you know that one day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God? All of us. And give an account for every idle word or for every sinful act, for anything we've said. And then praise God through Jesus Christ, Jesus paid it all. And that should hold us accountable to want to do better, to live more holy and pleasing lives. But one day we stand before the judgment, and I would love to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. What about you? I pray today that if the Holy, he was helped to his feet, and he said, no, go to, to a straight street to the house of Judas, and there you'll be told what you must do. And there will be a disciple there by the name of Ananias. And you remember in, in verse 17 of Acts chapter 9, Ananias came and he said, the, the Lord who spoke to you on the road has sent me. And he laid his hands on him and it said, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he got up and he took some food and he was baptized, spent time with his disciples, and boom, he started preaching. Saul became Paul and he became one of the most impactful men of God and all of God's word. But he had to turn from his sin. And that's maybe you today. You know there's some things you've got to get out of your life or some people you've got to get out of your life because they're leading you astray. It's leading you astray. And I pray today that you would turn. I love what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Repentance is when we are living our lives this way and we have a change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. I'm going a different way than I used to go. What about you? The Holy Spirit teaches us truth 
and to turn from our sin. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit teaches us about things to come, about things to come. Jesus said in that verse we've, verses we've shared in recent times, John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that the world hated me first. Verse 20 of John 15. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And then he said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You know how we overcome the world? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the peace that he gives. If you would look in verse uh, 26 and 7, he said, My peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. The world says to get peace, you just uh, numb the pain. You, you try to, to uh, drink until you can't feel anything or drug until you can't feel anything or immorality to just to cause you to, to lose uh, uh, all awareness of, of what you're doing or where you're going or what you should be doing. But the peace that the Lord gives is eternal. It's a gift. My peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Some of you are here today, you're troubled and you're afraid. And know that God wants to bring peace in your life. I've told you that the first question I usually ask people when they're at their deathbed, whether it's in the hospital or in hospice care, after I do some small talk, I'll, I'll get right to the point. I'll say, are you at peace with God? Some have said yes. Many have said, I don't know. Some have said, I think so. I want you to be at peace with God today. I don't care who you are. I want you to be at peace with God. You know how you can be at peace with God? Allow Jesus Christ to come into your life, to depend on him and not your own strength. There's greater strength in the Lord and in his power. You know, I, I joked a little bit last week, and I'm, I'm going to close by saying this. I, I haven't even heard it, so forgive me if I don't get it just right. But, you know, if you're a Kentucky Wildcat fan, we've been anything but at peace this last couple weeks because we expect the Wildcats to win. And I want to tell you for the two or three Louisville fans that we have in the church, <laughs> I didn't mean that as an insult. I was cheering for them to beat North Carolina yesterday. But, you know, I told you when we were talking about DeMar Hamlin and how that's changed, you know, where, where football and basketball aren't the most important things, that people's lives are more important than sports, which is so true. And we've so been at odds, and you know, and I was, my son and I, and well, even, even Kelly and Ann Catherine watched the game with us yesterday, and you know, I was up in front of the TV, and come on, you know, doing all this stuff, and um, and, you know, when they were finally able to pull it out, I was, you know, I was so happy for these young men who worked so hard. I was happy for the coach who's been under a lot of heat. And 
I was happy for the fan base in our state. You know, if you're not a Kentucky fan, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But if you are, you know, some of us bleed blue. And uh, we want them to do so well. And I didn't know until one of our members told me after the 8.30 service today, I, I didn't see Oscar Sheboy, you know, as a, as a wonderful Christian guy. And I guess there was a post-game uh, uh, press conference where Sheboy was saying that he told his team that they needed to depend more on God. In their own strength or their own ability, but they needed to turn more to God and depend on. Now, I look forward to, to finding it and watching that, but I thought, what an admirable that a young man, a young athlete, National Player of the Year last year, would stand before media and press and his teammates and his coaches and say, We need to depend more on God. When we depend more on God, we have victory. Now, it may not come in the form of a winning a ball game, but he gives us ultimate victory in life. We are winners whether we lose the game or not. We are winners through Christ. Do you know him today? Do you have peace with him? He wants to teach you his love and his truth as we pray together. Father, I pray right now in the stillness of this moment, that if there are any men or women or young people or children here and they've never taken that first step, I pray, God, that they would come today to know Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that I had Christian parents who were not only educators, but who taught my brothers and me the most important truth was to love Jesus and to live for him. Lord, I can never thank them enough for that lesson that I learned well. And I haven't always honored you, Lord, by doing and saying the things I always should have, but I've tried with all my heart to, to glorify you and to please you. Lord, there are others here that maybe their parents tried to teach them that truth, but maybe they didn't always model it. And as a result, some people have become jaded or Father, they become cynical or bitter toward the Lord because their memory of certain people that maybe were hypocritical, they didn't always model what it meant to be a Christian. Lord, I, I pray today, Lord, you would just convict them of that and draw them to you and so you can just wrap your arms around them and love them and welcome them home, the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, that you will welcome them with open arms. Lord, maybe there's some people that have been looking for a church, and we're not a perfect church, and I'm sure not a perfect pastor, but we do serve a perfect God. And Lord, when we keep our eyes on you, we know there's no fault in you. You are holy and righteous. You're perfect. Lord, may we depend more on you and not our own strength. We would lean upon you and and know, God, that you have prepared be a part of this family. Just come as you are, as the Holy Spirit leads. Won't you come as we sing?
Amen. Would you be seated just for a moment? I am so uh, thankful today to introduce to you this one who comes tonight with this family of faith, Star Robinson. If you would come up beside me. I'm so grateful that Star has been coming and bringing some of her family, and uh, she joined us last week for Coffee and Connections, and today Star comes tonight with this family of faith uh, coming uh, from a, another church. Star, we welcome you and know the Holy Spirit has led you here, and we welcome you with open arms. And I know you want to pledge your love and prayers and support to Star by letting it be known by saying amen, amen and applause. I was going to sing, you don't have to be a star, baby. <laughs> anyway, y'all remember that song? Anyway, sorry. I'm going to invite Star to join me out in the foyer and come by and welcome her to this family of faith. But we do welcome you, and we look forward to seeing what God has in store for us. You may be seated right now. Thank you, church, for being here, allowing the Holy Spirit to be in this place. I invite you to come back tonight. We have a couple of different small groups going on, as well as coffee and connections in the lobby of the children's wing. My wife and I would invite you to come to this very informal time of fellowship and discussing the Lord and His goodness in our lives. And then I invite you to our fellowship meal Wednesday at 5 or our prayer meeting at 6. Our prayer meeting continues to grow, and we see God doing some amazing things, and we would love for you and your family to come. There are things for the youth, things for the children, things for the whole family. So I invite you to come. But right now, would you stand? Thank you for being here today and allowing the Holy Spirit to be here. We're going to sing this chorus, and then I'll close this in prayer. But let's sing this like we mean it. Praise the Lord. praise for the great things you have done, for the great things you are doing, and for the great things that are still ahead. May we leave here today with the greater strength through the power of your Holy Spirit and the strong and holy and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.